From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Monday, November thirteenth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet with other world leaders in San Francisco during the APEC meetings this week. The World Health Organization says Gaza's largest hospital is no longer functional amid the fighting in the enclave. And heavy rains and flash flooding in Somalia have displaced hundreds of thousands of people. Coming up in business, exploring APEC's role in the global economy in sports. China dominates at a world table tennis event. In culture and entertainment, an arts competition themed on the Beijing Central Access. Now checking the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping will join world leaders at this week's APEC meetings in San Francisco. He's also scheduled to meet with his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden. Hendrik Cybrandi runs us through some of the agenda for China and the U.S. as well as the APEC talks. There are basically uh, two parallel events going on, obviously APEC itself, but then also the U.S.-China uh, meeting, the big meeting scheduled for the middle of the week between U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping. They haven't met in person for a year now since their meeting in Bali last fall. Uh, lots of issues on the agenda. We can uh, predict what uh, some, of those, uh, some of those agenda items are. Certainly climate change, always a top issue. Uh, economic relations issues, certainly the uh, export restrictions the U.S. has put on technology to China. That's a major bone of contention. Uh, issues like fentanyl. Also, uh, the issue of military to military contact. Artificial intelligence is another big issue, along with nuclear nonproliferation. 
Security is tight in the city, and it's only expected to get tighter here in the days to come. The uh, commitments that are made at these meetings, which occur every year, multiple meetings per year, actually, these commitments are purely voluntary, but it's a way to kind of... Uh, smooth economic cooperation around the world in the Asian Pacific region, uh, enhance supply chains, just make trade and economic cooperation easier, if at all possible. Uh, the theme of this week is creating economic opportunity, and they've identified four key pillars that they're going to be focusing on, sustainability, inclusion, resilience, as well as innovation. That was Hendrik Zybrandi in San Francisco. Well, San Francisco is home to the largest Chinatown in North America. The Chinese community in the city is preparing to welcome President Xi Jinping. Uh, businesses have high expectations about the meeting between the leaders of China and the U.S., and Xiao Yunfei spoke with some of the people there. Performance and crowds. Long awaited in Chinatown. The tourist neighborhood in San Francisco is counting on the upcoming APEC to draw the world's attention. Well, I can't wait. And I can't wait uh, for President Xi to come over and collaborate and congratulate and give support to the local Chinese American. Kevin Chan says fortune cookies send out love and care. And it's just like diplomatic ties. China and the United States need to communicate. It's very positive for both, both uh, countries to sit down and talk, talk it out and then understand each other instead of guessing, because guessing is very dangerous. San Francisco has the largest Chinatown in North America. For more than a century, the thriving community has been demonstrating the long-lasting ties between China and the United States. One is all. The faith of this old community is tightly bound to how China and the U.S. get along. Ding Li, the president of a local association, says early generations of Chinese immigrants were afraid of leaving the community due to discrimination. Things been changed rapidly since uh, we have a good relationship since uh, 1970 and Chinese uh, with American got a normal diplomatic relations so people got more open. And that has brought more personal exchanges. The state of California says it's home to around a third of the Chinese immigrant population in the United States and a significant number of local residents can trace their roots to China. Chinese Americans, we just uh, in the middle. We try to, our homeland, get strong and confidence. And we try to, United States, got a good relationship with China. And then it's a both win case. Chinatown has become a spotlight, as the leaders of the world's two largest economies are due to meet with strong hopes for positive outcomes from the talks. That was Zhao Yunfei on the significance of the meeting between the Chinese and U.S. presidents. Uh, locals in and around the host city for this year's APEC meetings uh, welcome the efforts that China and the U.S. are making to improve relations. We went on the streets in California and asked Americans if and why they think the upcoming meeting between President Xi and President Biden is a positive sign. I believe any time that they're meeting and talking, it will be good for hopefully good for China and for the U.S. and for the world. Well, because the more that we talk, the more we understand each other's positions and the more that we can try to accommodate each other. We want it to work. We have to work. We all live in this world, so let's yes. work together. <laughs> I think it's good that they talk as long as they're talking for the people that they're supposed to be leading. But other than that, 
I mean, they had to do a job. So if they're meeting for peace and positive stuff, I'm, I'm with it. I'm, I'm not against anybody to having a conversation. You know, questions about like who owns what, um, questions around kind of social issues that there's lots of disagreement on, but hopefully starting a conversation, you got to start somewhere. Well, some of the people have listed technology and trade among the areas that they think are important for the two countries to work on together. California Governor Gavin Newsom recently visited China and met uh, President Xi Jinping in Beijing. Uh, President Xi noted that China-U.S. relations are built on people-to-people exchanges. Meantime, the co-chair of this year's APEC host uh, committee uh, says this year's event will serve as an opportunity for San Francisco to bring people closer. Kevin Xu believes the history shared by the people of the two countries will also benefit the host city. I would say I will recall uh, a word from uh, Governor Newsom during his visit in China. He said um, San Francisco has the first Chinatown being built in the United States. And by having this opportunity to invite delegations, especially Chinese delegation, to come to visit the city of SF, you basically have an opportunity to show them around the Chinatown and how Chinese people live here and how they carry their culture from their mother country mm-hmm. to the U.S. And there, therefore you see a transformation, but also another way to reflect reflecting inclusivities. Inclusivity of culture that people from China actually build their Chinatown based on their vision. But how does Chinatown become a strong bond, just like the bridge that actually having a stronghold of the people. That was Kevin Shu from the APEC Host Committee on people in China and the U.S. coming closer together. The Philadelphia Orchestra is back in China 50 years after the band's first trip here. Uh, that visit in 1973 followed in the historic footsteps of then-U.S. President Richard Nixon's icebreaking journey a year earlier. Philadelphia Orchestra President and CEO Matthias Tarnopolsky shares his thoughts on how music, uh, music and culture connect the people in the two countries. Making music together humanizes people to the other, right? And if the geopolitical context is very difficult, it's almost more important that we come and make music together than in good times. People ask me, you know, how can you possibly go to China in these situations? And, and we have various answers to the question. One is, you think it would be better if we didn't go, right? Another one is this, this idea that's so important. Music making is about shared experience, joint purpose. We come here with, with only a musical agenda. There's no political agenda here. So, and we come really with, with, open, with openness and, 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 and heart. Um, and that's our, our responsibility. Symphony Orchestra has performed in Beijing and Tianjin already to mark 50 years of friendly exchanges. And coming up, the largest hospital in the Gaza Strip is no longer functioning as fighting rages. From sustainability and digitalization to trade, health, and energy security, 21 major Asian Pacific economies gather to address the most pressing global challenges and to create a future of sustainable economic growth. Join CGTN for our coverage of APEC 2023. 
10 minutes past the hour. The World Health Organization says the largest hospital in Gaza has ceased to function amid Israeli attacks on the enclave. Israeli forces have besieged the Al-Shifa hospital in the north of the Strip. Uh, more such facilities are going offline because of a lack of power and critical supplies. Meantime, Israel's accusing Hamas of refusing its offer to provide fuel for Al-Shifa and evacuate newborns. Hamas has denied those allegations and said the group's not associated with management at the hospital. Associated Press correspondent Sam Mednick has more. Fighting continued on Sunday in the city of Gaza, and it was centered around the Al-Shifa hospital. This is where Israel says Hamas has a command and control center. Hamas does deny this. The officials at the hospital say there are about 20,000 people right now, as well as 1,500 patients trapped inside the hospital amid dwindling supplies and ongoing gunfire. I spoke to a nurse who works with the aid group Doctors Without Borders. He was in the Al-Shifa hospital on Saturday. He called the situation horrific. The hospital has said that there's been no fuel since Saturday, and that has resulted in the death of at least seven people, including three premature babies. And Israel is continuing to abide by these humanitarian pauses where people can go from the north of Gaza to the south. However, Palestinians who have taken the route have said that they are being harassed on the way by Israeli soldiers and that they are continuing to be hit even once they reach the south of Gaza. On Sunday, 13 people were killed in the city of Yunis when a building was struck and dozens were injured. In a little bit of more positive news, the Rafah border crossing with Egypt did reopen after days of being closed and foreign nationals were able to leave again. That was Sam Mednick with the Associated Press. A senior Hamas officials welcome the final communique released from the Joint Arab-Islamic Extraordinary Summit that urges efforts to ensure that humanitarian aid centers in the Gaza Strip are uh, open safely. Uh, Osama Hamdan made the remarks after leaders of several Islamic and Arab countries participating in the summit in Saudi Arabia called for an end to the military operations and siege of Gaza. We see that the summit's decision to break the blockage on the Gaza Strip and impose the immediate entry of aid, relief and medical materials and fuel is a step in the right direction. We anticipate the urgent implementation of this decision by opening the Rafah crossing and humanitarian corridors to let this relief enter permanently and continuously. Hamas representative to Lebanon adds that he hopes that the Islamic and Arab countries could activate their political and economic influence uh, to pile diplomatic pressure on the United States to stop the aggression against civilians. He told the U.S. and Israel that Gaza will only be governed by its own people and that there will be no political or security authority except for the Palestinians there. The Israeli ambassador to the U.S. says daily four-hour pauses in the Gaza military operations have started. Michael Herzog says they've begun the humanitarian pauses in neighborhoods in the north and the south. Every day we give notice to the population a few hours that they can go out. They can uh, replenish themselves. They can get medical treatment. They can move to the south, whatever they do. And uh, it's four hours pauses every day, every day in a different neighborhood, according to the situation in the north. And that's proven very effective. He adds that Israel is not in Gaza to occupy or govern the Strip, but to remove what he described as the military threat from Hamas. Israeli strikes on the Gaza Strip have killed more than 11,000 Palestinians since the conflict started on October the 7th. And over 28,000 others are injured.
An investigation by U.S. and German newspapers alleges that a former Ukrainian Special Forces officer played a key role in the Nord Stream pipeline attack last year. The explosions cut off a major conduit that transports Russian gas to Europe. Amagumi Lim reports from Kyiv. According to officials in Ukraine and Europe, as well as other people knowledgeable about the covert operation cited in the newspaper's report, Roman Travinsky, a decorated colonel who served in Ukraine's special operations forces, was the coordinator of the Nord Stream attack last September. According to people familiar with Travinsky's role in the operation, he didn't plan the attack but managed logistics supporting a six-person team that rented a sailboat under false identities. They allegedly used deep-sea diving equipment meant to plant explosive charges on the pipelines. Travinsky has denied any involvement, saying in a written statement that all speculations about his involvement were being spread by Russian propaganda. He's currently being held in pre-trial detention on charges involving a different incident. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has repeatedly denied his country was involved, but according to people familiar with the operation, the Nord Stream attack was designed to keep Zelensky out of the loop. Countries like Germany, Denmark and Sweden have been carrying out investigations into the Nord Stream explosions and so far no one has claimed responsibility for the attack. That was Mugumi Lim reporting. Well, thousands of demonstrators have taken to the streets of Madrid to protest against a possible amnesty for Catalan politicians involved in an independence referendum. Uh, political parties uh, accusing uh, acting uh, Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez of betraying the country organized the protest. They accuse Sanchez of handing power to uh, Carlos uh, Puigdemont, uh, the head of a group intent on achieving independence for Catalonia. Sobre la ley de amnistía. The amnesty law is what concerns me more. I don't think it's normal that some people have privileges above others. We need equality in the country and unity. What we need now, no matter the political party, is to speak up. Sanchez never said in his campaign that he will carry on this treason, or at least not clearly enough to make Spanish people not vote for him. The only way out now is to support justice and show it in the streets. We need citizens to go to the streets. The amnesty for those involved in the 2017 referendum in Catalonia came amid an agreement signed between the ruling Spanish Socialist Party and Catalan Nationalist Parties. It was supposed to give Sanchez enough support to secure a slim majority in a vote next week in the Spanish Congress. And uh, this will help the acting prime minister and Spanish Socialist Party leader win another four-year mandate. Sanchez's government has granted pardons to several jail leaders of the Catalan independence movement. South Korea and the United States have revised a bilateral security agreement aimed at deterring North Korea's advancing nuclear and missile threats. Defense ministers from the two countries met in Seoul and signed the updated tailored deterrence strategy. Um, defense ministers did not immediately specify updates in the agreement, which holds that the uh, United States will use strategic military assets, including nuclear forces, to defend its allies. South Korean and U.S. ministers also agreed to joint, uh, boost joint drills, as well as cooperation with Japan. Coming up, heavy rains and deadly flooding in Somalia. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. At 18 minutes past the hour.
Heavy rains have triggered flash flooding in Somalia. More than 30 people have died. Half a million are displaced and struggling to find shelter. Uh, damaged and insufficient transportation networks are making it difficult for relief to re uh, reach the affected areas. Mohamed Kahia reports from Mogadishu. Amina Addo was displaced by flash floods twice this year from her home in the agricultural town in central Somalia. She now resides in an IDP camp for internally displaced persons, or IDPs outside Bledwain. Life, she says, is not easy, and just maintaining her dignity in such a tough conditions is a challenge. I was living in an IDP camp in Beledwain when flood waters swept away our shelters. We relocated to higher ground here. We don't have proper shelter, no food and even water as well as latrines. We call upon the Somali government and its partners to provide urgent assistance. The situation is no different for her neighbor. Hussein Ali says the weather is very changeable with temperatures extremes and there are constant struggles with public health and sanitation. We have been here for about 10 days with no water and latrines. It's very hot during the day and very cold and rainy during the night, so we request help from non-governmental organizations. Despite efforts by the Somali government, several towns are still underwater, and there seems no hope for the rains ending in the immediate town. However, the humanitarian mission continues, despite frustrating logistical problems. The National Disaster Management Agency, in coordination with UN agencies, has dispatched rescue boats to look, which is one of the most affected areas. We are also planning to provide food, medicine, as well as mosquito nets. But delivering the supplies via road transport is becoming a challenge because of the heavy rains. Somalia is not the only country in the region been affected by this global weather phenomenon known as El Nino. Kenya and Ethiopia have also reported deaths and displacements due to heavy rains and flooding. The UN says it will provide 25 million US dollars to jumpstart life-saving assistance for those affected. Somalia is considered one of the most vulnerable countries to El Nino and climate change. For example, just a few months ago, the country was crying out for rain as the drought brought huge environmental challenges and food security issues. Now, millions of acres of what was patched land is underwater, crippling regional economies, which rely so much on agriculture. That was Mohamed Kahie on the effects of climate change in Somalia. Tens of thousands of protesters have marched in Amsterdam demanding immediate action against climate change. This comes a few days before the Netherlands holds a general election. Now, some of the people say they're shocked to find out that the Dutch government uh, gives billions of euros of subsidies to the fossil fuel industry annually. Because I'm very worried about the climate change and about the biodiversity and I want to say to all the people uh, to uh, act green and I think it's possible now. We have so many uh, ideas and people who want it, so uh, I really want to change. And also because of the elections uh, that are coming now in the Netherlands that we can choose for a green option. People don't have enough information, education and we do not talk about it enough. And I think it's super important because we're all going to die. And it's not just jokes, it's a very serious matter and we have to do something as a collective. 
Organizers say the number of participants in the march was the largest ever at a climate protest in the Netherlands. Ecological protection is part of the emphasis of China's efforts to deepen reforms. Under such activities, a former wasteland in southwest China has turned into an ecotourism resort. Uh, Yang Jinghao visited the garden in Taiping Lake Forest Town. Located in Yunnan's Mila City, it's emerging as a popular spot for tourists. I brought my kids here after learning about this place from social media. The view is wonderful and the air is nice. It's my first time here and I find it a great place for taking pictures as the scenery is unique. But several years ago, the place was still a stretch of barren land with barely any trees. In a city featuring a vast karst landscape, this area once suffered from what's known as rocky desertification, and local farmers could only try to grow some drought-resistant crops on the infertile land. In 2016, a local company launched a restoration project with government support in response to the country's call for green development. First, we cleared away the rocks and stones, and then covered the area with soil measuring about one meter thick, which was transported from elsewhere. Above it was another layer of nutrient-rich soil. We then began to grow plants and flowers following the pH neutralization process of the soil. With an investment of over $200 million, the wasteland gradually turned into an oasis with diverse accommodations and entertainment facilities. We expected to receive about 1 million visitors this year, double or even triple the numbers of previous years, especially during the COVID-19 period, with a growing number coming from neighboring Vietnam. Apart from the ecological benefits, the project has created numerous job opportunities, with hundreds of nearby villagers now working here. The city is also gearing up for even more development. Next, while ensuring the protection of existing forest resources, we will continue to implement rocky desertification control projects. Our goal is to increase the city's forest coverage rate from current 48.3% to 50% by 2025. Many people see Mila's success story as a small step, but nevertheless inspirational, especially as the country works towards the goal of building a beautiful China by 2035. That was Yang Jinghao with a story on the achievements of ecological protection in Yunnan province. Two volcanic eruptions in Europe are continuing to affect residents living nearby. Authorities in Iceland are preparing for an eruption on the southwest of the island amid the escalating earthquake activity, with an emergency response plan now in action. The country's meteorological office warns of a considerable risk of an eruption of the Reykjanes Peninsula. Thousands of people have evacuated from Grindavik due to the danger there. The meteorological office says a fissure may open anywhere in a magma corridor door that's lying beneath the town. Mount Etna in Italy is uh, also roaring into action. Uh, the tallest and most active volcano in Europe spewed lava and ash over the island of Sicily. The China-Lao Railways launched a tourism line from Beijing to Ventian. Uh, passengers are enthusiastic despite the early departure time on Monday.
This is my first time traveling on a special train for tourism. I'm very curious to experience the China Laos Railway firsthand. The train will pass through scenic locations in southwestern China on its way to the Lao capital. Uh, in view of the predominance of elderly travelers in the 15-day duration of the trip, China Railway Travel Service Group has made preparations to give passengers a good experience. And authorities that handle visas say they'll streamline the application process and reduce paperwork. Uh, the new tourism train is highly sought after since there was no regular cross-border passenger services on the China Lao Railway from Beijing. The project under the Belt and Road Initiative began operation around two years ago. A Chinese research icebreaker Shuilong Tu has rescued four stranded Papua New Guinean fishermen in the open sea near the equator. The boat carrying the fishermen was adrift at sea for nine hours after running out of fuel and battery power. Shuilong Tu captain Xiao Jermin says the fishermen were not able to call for help due to failed telecom devices. Both their high-frequency telecommunication and AIS, or automatic identification system, are not available, so the boat seemingly lost its power. Rescuing people is our legal obligation. We must rescue them. Now, the crew of the icebreaker brought the stranded fishing boat and fishermen to a safe place and handed them over to a local uh, a local vessel after a rescue operation taking over 30 hours. Now, Shui Lung Tu is on an Antarctic scientific research mission expected to last for uh, roughly five months. The team on board will investigate the impacts of climate change on the Antarctic ecosystem and the continent's role in climate change. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. At 28 minutes past the hour, Beijing's down to minus 3 overnight. It'll be sunny with the high of 11 on Tuesday. Chongqing's at 10 tonight, then cloudy with the high of 14. Last is down to minus 3, followed by sunny skies and 14. Hong Kong's at 19 overnight, then cloudy with the high of 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 7 degrees overnight. It'll be mostly sunny with the high of 18 on Tuesday. Islamabad's down to 13, followed by some haze and 25 degrees. Bangkok's at 27 tonight. Tomorrow has thunderstorms and a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi is getting thunderstorms in 24 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 15 this evening, then it's cloudy with a high of 28 on Tuesday. Auckland's 10 degrees overnight, then cloudy in 19. Port Vila, some clouds in 27 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet with other world leaders in San Francisco during the APEC meetings this week. The World Health Organization says Gaza's largest hospital is no longer functional amid the fighting in the enclave. And heavy rains and flash flooding in Somalia have displaced hundreds of thousands of people. And Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on The Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. 
with Alan to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Monetary Foundation. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 ，or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 ，there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好。Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Monday. Still to come, in business, exploring APEC's role in the global economy. In sports, China dominates at a world table tennis event. In culture and entertainment, an arts competition that's themed on the Beijing Central Axis.、And、to contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtn radio. First of all, checking the day's headline news. Here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden are meeting in San Francisco later this week during the APEC meetings. China's foreign ministry says the two leaders will discuss bilateral relations and issues concerning world peace and development. The two heads of state will hold in-depth discussions on strategic, overall, and directional matters concerning China-U.S. relations, as well as key issues related to global peace and development. China has consistently approached its relations with the U.S. based on the principles of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation, as proposed by President Xi Jinping. Competition between major powers goes against the prevailing trend of the times and falls short in addressing challenges confronting the U.S. and the world. China's foreign ministry has urged the U.S. to respect China's legitimate concerns and right to development. The spokesperson also says the United States should oppose Taiwan independence forces with action. She expressed hope that the U.S. will play a constructive role in a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The World Health Organization is warning of what it calls a dire and perilous situation in Gaza's hospitals amid a shortage of supplies and Israeli bombardment. Gaza's largest and second-largest hospitals, Al Shifa and Al Quds, have suspended operation. Israel's military says it's offered to evacuate newborn babies and placed 300 liters of fuel at Al Shifa's entrance. It claims Hamas turned down the offers. Meanwhile, the Israel Defense Forces says its troops are continuing to deepen raids into the heart of Gaza City, where they arrested about 20 Hamas members on Sunday. Hamas says its armed forces are still fighting back. Israel's military says it has launched a strike on militants in Lebanon who intended to bomb northern Israel with rocket fire. The Israeli army says the militants were operating in a civilian area. In a separate incident, Lebanese militants fired anti-tank missiles near the border and hit a number of civilians. Israel said it retaliated with artillery fire. A report from U.S. media says a Ukrainian military officer coordinated the attack on the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline last year. 
The report says former intelligence official Roman Chervinsky, who served in Ukraine's special forces, managed a six-person team but did not plan the attack. Chervinsky has, deni- has denied involvement. Nobody has taken responsibility for the Nord Stream blast in, no- in September 2022, which occurred off the Danish island of Bornholm and ruptured three out of the four lines delivering Russian gas to Europe. The U.S. government and NATO called it an act of sabotage, while Russia said it was an act of international terrorism. Germany, Denmark and Sweden are investigating the explosions, which sent methane into the atmosphere. Rescuers have managed to make contact with 40 laborers trapped in a collapsed tunnel in northern India and are hopeful they will be rescued. Local officials say rescue workers are preparing an escape passage by drilling the debris. The workers were building a tunnel for a national highway that is part of a Hindu pilgrimage route. The $1.5 billion U.S. dollar project aims to connect four important Hindu pilgrimage sites in northern India. A thick haze is circulating in New Delhi as people in the Indian city defy the ban on firecrackers on the annual Hindu festival of light. Smoke plumes were visible across the sky as revelers led off firecrackers to mark the country's biggest festival. Data from India's Federal Pollution Control Board shows that the air quality index across all 40 monitoring stations in the capital averaged 219 on a scale of 500. That indicates poor conditions that can affect most people after prolonged exposure. The AQI data also showed that the concentration of PM2.5 in a cubic meter of air was 20 times higher than the World Health Organization's recommended maximum. Delhi's environment minister had urged citizens to avoid setting up firecrackers to prevent breathing problems. Police in Italy have captured a lion that escaped from a circus near Rome and was roaming the streets of the seaside town. Authorities spotted the feline with the assistance of helicopters. A veterinary team sedated the big cat and brought it back to the circus. An investigation is ongoing to determine whether the cage housing the, the lion was maliciously opened. Well, thank you very much. That was Do Hong Yu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, exploring Apex's role in the global economy. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. We're at uh, 36 minutes past the hour. Uh, in business, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Shanghai Composite added uh, a quarter of 1%. The Shenzhen component added added, uh, only about a tenth of 1%, though. Financial stocks were definitely hogging the spotlight. ICBC shares sank and then paired losses uh, in the wake of the ransomware attack on its U.S. trading unit last week, which uh, left it owing uh, Bank of New York Mellon $9 billion for unsettled trades. Uh, The attack was reportedly so severe that staff were locked out of uh, everything, including their uh, email accounts. 
ICBC has uh, injected some capital into its US unit in order to help pay BNY Mellon and also hired some cybersecurity experts. Its shares ended the day down uh, a little under half of 1%. China Galaxy Securities was also a headline stock uh, after it dismissed market rumours that it's going to merge with China International Capital Corporation. Uh, the company said uh, neither it nor its controlling shareholders have any plans uh, to merge the brokerage with the CICC, which is uh, one of China's top investment banks and Galaxy Security shares fell uh, more than 3% after that announcement. But they did manage to recover late in the session to close uh, fractionally higher. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up around 1.3%. In Japan, the Nikkei gained nearly one-tenth of a percent. Well, APEC covers 38% of the global population, 48% of the global trade volume, and 62% of the global GDP, making it the most extensive representative and highest level cooperation organization in the Asia-Pacific region. For more discussions on APEC's role in the global economy, Guan Xin spoke with Liu Zhichin, senior fellow of the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. So considering the current global economic landscape, what role can APEC play in addressing the major challenges faced by the global economy? I should say that the APEC meeting is so important, not only for China, but also for the whole world, especially for the global economy. As we know, the APEC has a minimum the three important roles has played in the past three decades, especially. First, the first role is that it's a good platform for communication. And the second role is the, a platform for uh, challenge solutions, that means the dispute solution. And the third is the opportunity finder or provider. As we know, the APEC is a, a, a product from globalization. That's why in the past 30 years, it has made great uh, achievements for the global economic development. So from communication, from the uh, solution for challenges and the conflicts, and also third for opportunities for all countries equally and transparently. So all these three rules have made great contribution to further develop the economic development uh, in the whole world, especially for uh, during the very special time, for instance, when we met the world uh, financial crisis, when we had uh, the pandemic crisis, all over the world. All these problems made some headwinds for all countries' economic development. But APEC plays a so important role that it communicated with each other to exchange experiences and opinions, especially from policy level, because this is a platform for important state heads to meet together to discuss the hottest issues around the world. And of course, the third role, as I mentioned, that the opportunity finder. If we can, through the negotiations and communications, we can find more opportunities to further develop our economy. Where is the point for further cooperation? So the APEC role can really address many challenges we are facing. That was Liu Zhichin, Senior Fellow of the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China, talking about APEC's role in the global economy. 
Official data shows that the national fall grain harvest is more than 95% complete despite summer heat waves and torrential rainfall. The annual grain output is expected to reach a record high of around 650 billion kilograms for the ninth year in a row. China's recent efforts to curb reliance on food imports and step up agricultural research funding have helped the world's leading food importer become more resilient to global grain price hikes and supply chain woes. China's top economic regulator says the country's modernization will provide opportunities for the development of the private economy. According to the National Development and Reform Commission, the fundamentals of the country's sound economic development in the long run remain unchanged, and the private sector also has sustained a long-term upturn. Uh, The country released a guideline earlier this year that sends clear signals of intent to help the private sector thrive. The ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine's caused significant economic losses for both sides. A UN report says Palestine's economy will shrink between 4 and 12 percent in 2023 and between 4 and 9 percent in 2024. With more on this, Guan Xin spoke with Chu Cheng, research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Chu. So what do you think about the impact on the regional economy and global economy, in particular on oil prices and supply chains? Well, I think this conflict uh, basically currently, as our reporter just mentioned, has been limited in uh, a rather limited scale. So their impact and spillover effect to the region and to the rest of the world are still you know, controllable. But what we don't know is that uh, how far and how long this war is going to be be here, and also the impact will, you know, uh, try to be amplified. For example, right now, even though it's already in the Gaza uh, Strip, but also if further more countries, adjacent nations, has been influenced and dragged into this conflict, probably we're going to see Hormuz Street or the Red Sea and the adjacent, you know, transportation choke points will be affected. And by that moment, I think uh, many uh, world trade and, uh, you know, uh, goods shipment will be affected. We're going to see inflation will go up. And by far, oil prices, even though uh, right now we didn't see much of the rise, it's like a 1% or 2% up. But by that moment, probably it's going to go by uh, 10% or even 20%. Like Ukraine crisis happened uh, in the very beginning. So the oil prices flow up like 50%. This kind of the crisis can happen again if the war continues in the Palestine region. Mm. And also we're going to see supply chain uh, will also be a problem, as well as um, more of the uh, uh, countries get involved in this uh, conflict. For example, some countries are benefiting from the oil uh, price up or benefiting from the military export. They probably would like to see this continues. So if that really happens, I really worry about how far and how large the impact will continue to be. That was Chu Cheng, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University, talking about the economic impacts of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. China's State Post Bureau says its monthly express delivery development index came in at 383.5 in October. That was up over seven points from a year earlier. The sub-index for service quality grew 1.7 points, and the sub-index for development scale picked up 14.4 points. The Bureau says the fast expansion of express delivery has laid a solid foundation for the sector's peak season and offered strong underpinnings for the country's sustained economic growth. The index is compiled based on data from four major logistics firms operating delivery services. It reflects the overall business activities and trends in the country's career sector.
Chinese Ministry of Culture and Tourism has issue, uh, issued a plan to boost domestic tourism with a focus on offering a more diversified array of tourism products. New projects suitable for students and the elderly will be rolled out. They'll launch new options featuring ice and snow, marine habitat, stargazing, and city walk tours. Official data shows that China saw over 2.3 billion domestic trips during the first half of the year, raking in tourism revenue of 2.3 trillion yuan, or roughly 315 billion U.S. dollars. With the resumption of the China-Russia cross-border visa-free policy for tour groups at the end of September, tourism between the two countries has been picking up pace. The border town of Heihe in northeastern China is witnessing a surge in tourist arrivals. Although it's been freezing cold lately, uh, some Russian tourists still visit, partly to do some shopping. This is the first time I came to China. I want to visit its cities and learn about its culture and traditions. I also want to go to shopping malls to buy gifts for my family and friends. Because before the new year, Russian people usually exchange presents and goods are sold at low prices in China. I came to Heihe to do shopping. Besides, I like shopping online very much. Just like Chinese people, I like buying things on platforms like Taobao because they are very convenient and shipping is fast. This is true, and they offer huge discounts during double eleven. Well, since the beginning of the year, Russian demand for Chinese goods has gradually increased. This year, the export values exceeded 4 billion yuan, or roughly 556 million U.S. dollars. That's a yearly increase of 140 percent. And that was your business news. Coming up in sports, China dominates at a world table tennis event. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. China swept all five titles at the World Table Tennis Contender Taiwan. In the women's singles final, Wang Manyu and Wang Yidi created an all-Chinese showdown. Wang Manyu emerged victorious, avenging her loss at the WTT Champions Frankfurt in November. In a thrilling men's final, Liang Jingkun narrowly defeated Shunsuki Togami of Japan in full games. A dominant Chinese contingent also took the men's doubles final, mixed doubles final and women's doubles final. China's Zhang Anda defeated Tom Ford in the final of the International Snooker Championship in Tianjin. Zhang claimed a momentous first-ranking event title after his 10-6 victory. Zhang becomes the sixth player from the Chinese mainland to lift ranking silverware. Zhang is proud of his achievement. I feel that my dream has come true. After thinking that it wouldn't happen when I lost in the English Open final last month, but it's good to stay level and keep my confidence. All my hard work paid off. Zhang's only the second player from China to win a ranking title on home soil. Alex Pereira stopped Yuri Prochaska via TKO to capture the vacant UFC light heavyweight championship. The Brazilian has been in the UFC for just two years, and now he has won championships in two weight classes. The TKO came in the second round of the main event of UFC 295 at Madison Square Garden. With the win, Pereira becomes the ninth two-division champion in UFC history. He was previously the UFC middleweight champion earlier this year.
Pereira is the fastest to two championships in UFC history, doing it in just seven UFC fights. No other fighter has won titles at middleweight and light heavyweight. Manchester City and Chelsea played out to a thrilling 4-4 draw in English Premier League football action. Erling Haaland netted a brace for City, however Cole Palmer's 95th minute penalty secured the draw in a classic match. City manager Pep Guardiola said it was a good advert for the league. Well, it could be better, but it could be worse too. So, <laughs> good advert for the Premier League, it was a tight game, they start better, uh, playing at home. They built, you felt, you built something new with a lot of new players. With uh, What they have done is to be in the play the way they, they're doing. So. Maybe the results in the beginning wasn't good, but they played really well for the quality. It was a tight game. Chelsea boss Maurizio Pochettino was proud of his players. Yes, too many uh, circumstances that happened during the game that make me very proud because in the way that we managed the, the game was, was really, really good. Of course, always thing to improve, um, but it's the process, no? It's the process when you want to build a journey and you want to build a project from you know from zero i think this type of thing are very good to you know and this type of experience also games will improve a lot our our player and our team um, but now we need to use and to translate in the in the future in other selected European club football results, Liverpool defeated Brentford 3-0, Bayer Leverkusen dominated Union Berlin 4-0 to remain unbeaten in the Bundesliga. Barcelona edged Alaves 2-1, while Atletico Madrid defeated Villarreal 3-1 in La Liga. Defending Serie A champions Napoli suffered a surprise 1-0 defeat to Empoli. Jacques Nienaber has been linked with a future return to the South African national rugby team. The World Cup winning coach helped guide South Africa to a successful World Cup title defence. He will now join eight-time United Rugby Championship winners Leinster in December. Nienaber's contract with Leinster reportedly runs until June 2026. Springboks director of rugby Rassi Erasmus may recall Nienaber to the team by then. That would be just before the next World Cup in Australia in 2027. In the meantime, Erasmus will take on the responsibilities as head coach. The majority of South Africa's remaining coaching staff have extended their contracts. Only assistant coach Felix Jones has departed to join Steve Borthwick's England's management team. Erasmus reportedly has a list that he will present to SA Rugby to replace Jones and Nienaber's defence coach role. Canada won the Billy G. King Cup for the first time in history after defeating Italy in Sunday's final in Seville. Canada claimed a prize of 2.4 million US dollars in the women's tennis team tournament. 18-year-old Marina Stakusic got the Canadians off to a perfect start. She overcame Martina Trevisan 7-5-6-3 in the opening singles match. Stakusic was very happy with the result. Yeah, it, it obviously means so much for, for Canadian tennis and for all of us. I, it's been such an honor being a part of this team and I couldn't be more proud of everyone. Like This has seriously been the best experience ever and um, yeah, I'm just super happy to do it for Canada. Leila Fernandez decided the final to make Canada the 13th team to win the tournament. She was thrilled by her own performance. It feels amazing and I'm extremely proud that I was able to get to represent Canada at the biggest stage and to do it in front of Billie Jean. It means the world to, to me, to us, and hopefully we can uh, keep going, celebrate tonight and just have fun. <laughs> Fernandez turned on the style to defeat Jasmine Paolini 6-2-6-3. 
And finally, in India completed a flawless Cricket World Cup group stage by hammering the Netherlands by 160 runs. The hosts made it 9 wins in 9 games. They posted a huge 50 over total of 410 for 4. India was always in control on a flat wicket. The Netherlands was dismissed for 250 from 47.5 overs. The semi-final lineup is now confirmed. India plays 4th place New Zealand in Mumbai. Australia takes on South Africa in Kolkata a day later. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment and arts competition themed on the Beijing Central Axis. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Uh, 54 minutes past the hour now, turning to culture and entertainment. Well, hundreds of young artists from home and abroad have taken part in a competition in Beijing about the city's iconic Central Axis. It's part of the Beijing Central Axis Cultural Heritage, Inheritance and Innovation competition. 120 groups of Chinese and foreign contestants entered the final round to show their understanding of the Beijing Central Axis culture through on-site displays. The Central Axis is an 8-kilometer uh, trunk road from north to south adorned with with many cultural relics and historic buildings such as the Drum and Bell Towers. It's considered the backbone of China's capital. Tanka art is a prestigious and historical art form. Uh, Zhang Hui has more. For months, these professional artists have been working on this Tanka painting commissioned by the Xizang College of Buddhism. Produced on cotton or silk, Tanka painting usually depicts deities or scenes associated with Buddhism. Originally, most tankas were served as a teaching and meditation tool for religious scholars. The composition of tanka can be highly elaborate and may include a plethora of tiny figures. Often, a large central deity is depicted, surrounded by other lesser figures in a symmetrical pattern. Karma Tenzin was born in Shannan Prefecture, Xizang. His family has been devoted to the art for generations. Compared with other ethnic artists, we Tibetan Tankad artists have our own characteristics. From when we first take a painting, if a child shows interest in painting, the parents would look for a master, one who is qualified and dependable. My uncle is a painter, my parents asked him to teach me, so I could earn a living as a Tanka artist. They gave him permission to punish me if I was disobedient. That is how I was apprenticed to my master. The process of learning to paint Tanka is difficult. It requires considerable patience and perseverance, as it can involve many hours' work a day. An artist needs to be utterly devoted, old and young alike. The artists feel duty to promote interest in Tanka. In this large-scale mural project, I am responsible for drawing the outline and painting the face. Other apprentices are in charge of the rest. Painting the face is the final and most important step after everything else is finished. The face must be painted on an auspicious day. It's the most difficult process. The quality of the work depends on the face. A well-painted face means a good piece of work. 
The artist must be in a good mental state while painting the face. Traditionally, the pigments used in tanka contain precious minerals. Mixing gold, silver, pearl, agate, coral, turquoise, malachite, or cinnabar, with extras of plants such as rhubarb and indigo, shows a level of reverence. That was Zheng Hui reporting. Archaeologists have discovered a large cemetery in northwest China. Located in Shanyang, Shanxi province, the tomb cluster is confirmed to be a burial place for the people of the Qin dynasty, which was China's first dynasty. Archaeologists found more than 200 ancient tombs in what they determined to be a public cemetery. Besides the prolific Qin tombs, nearly 900 cultural relics made of clay, copper, and iron were also unearthed. The objects were commonly used by ancient people in their everyday lives. Beijing Design and Art Expo is in full swing at the China National Agricultural Exhibition Center. It's one of the key events of the Beijing International Design Week. The event covers three distinctive units, beauty of technology, beauty of taste, and beauty of life. More than 100 e exhibitors are taking part, with over 10 events on the schedule. It brings together high-quality design and content from the, around the world. Visitors can enjoy innovative designs in culture, tourism, and technology and other areas, and experience industry trends and lifestyles. That was culture and entertainment. It's 58 past the hour. Beijing down to minus 3 overnight. It'll be sunny with a high of 11 on Tuesday. Chongqing's down to 10 this evening, then cloudy and 14. Last is down to minus 3, followed by sunny skies and 14. Hong Kong's 19 overnight, then cloudy with the high of 24. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo, 7 degrees overnight. It'll be mostly sunny with a high of 18 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 18 this evening, followed by haze and 25 degrees. Bangkok's 27 tonight. Uh, tomorrow has thunderstorms and a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi's getting thunderstorms in 24 degrees. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet with other world leaders in San Francisco during the APEC meetings this week. And the World Health Organization says Gaza's largest hospital is no longer functional amid the fighting in the enclave. On behalf of the staff, Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 